For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. There's a well-used therapy called dialectical behavior therapy, or DBT, um, that's shown to be very effective for those struggling with substance abuse. The framework uses a Venn diagram, and when we're talking about substance dependency, um, you have one circle that's addict mind, where you're under the control of drugs, another circle uh, that's clean mind, where, where you're off drugs, um, you feel safe past addiction, um, and, and here it can actually be dangerous as well. You're almost too confident. Um, and you're not aware of the risk. You lack the vigilance that sets up the stage for relapse. But then the part where the two circles overlap, we have clear mind. Here is someone that's, that's in recovery, but is aware of the risk. Um, and they're gonna set up safeguards. They recognize that they need help. Um, in AA meetings, they'll say stuff like, you know, your addiction is waiting in the parking lot. A reminder that, that just because you're out of that state currently, you still could get sucked in. There still is risk involved. As people, as Christians, I think we also have this a little bit. We have one circle where there's sinners, one circle where there's the righteous who, who almost don't admit that sin is in their lives, and then there's the overlap where people, people are more aware that you know, we're, we're all sinners. We want righteousness, we seek that, but we know that we're sinners and we need help. Um, and I, I think right there, understanding we need help is something that really makes a difference between the two circles, whereas those who are living in sin and those who are living in a state where they believe they're completely righteous, they're ruling their own lives and they're not necessarily um, seeking help or having a dependency on Jesus. As we continue through the Gospel of Matthew, uh, we look today at chapter 11, verses 20 to 30. Then he began to denounce the cities where most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if mighty works done, the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. Um, these three cities were known to be ungodly, were known to be pagans and unsaved. Um, in, in the Old Testament, uh, these cities had conquered Israel for a bit. They had sold Jews into slavery. So they would have, they would have been known as not just ungodly, but there historically would have been a hatred towards them. Um, and then even, even by pagan standards, Tyre, Sidon, and Sodom were, were known for their immorality. So then Jesus saying that these cities would have been saved had they had the same experiences, had they seen the same miracles or heard the same teaching. Um, it would have been quite shocking to the Jewish people. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, 
for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Sometimes I find myself um, looking for, for proof um, to, to convince friends or people that I know to, to love Jesus. Um, I, I look for forgetting the right words. I maybe want to show them the, the perfect preacher. Uh, I pray for miracles. And it, it's with this desire that, you know, if they see these things, if they hear these things, they'll believe in Jesus without a shadow of doubt. Um, but reading here, we know that evidence, like miracles, um, or the perfect speaker, uh, they did, after all, have Jesus. Um, these are not the silver bullet. These things are obviously important. They have high value, but they're not decisive. They're not a, a guarantee that people are going to come to know Jesus and to follow him. Um, in fact, we see here they kind of get a collective shrug instead. But still, all, all are invited. Come to me, all who are weary. I think those that don't believe in Jesus ultimately are refusing to come to him. They're refusing to respond to his call. And then there's this interesting, uh, attention, uh, interesting tension pardon me, between divine sovereignty of God, the, the fact that he reveals himself, and then the human responsibility to respond. And I, I don't think these are opposing as they might seem. They're not um, a, contra a contradiction with each other, but they're actually working together. And when I think about that, I think being a Christian is actually something to be very humble about. It's not that we've, we've studied the most or we've lived a perfect life. It's not that we've earned it in any way. Um, rather, being a Christian is, is an act of grace, one that we don't deserve, um, where, where God has revealed himself and we have responded. Jesus is speaking to the religious leaders here and other Jewish people, and they, some of them would have thought for sure that they were in. Self-righteous legalism, I think, blinded these people more so than, than the people that had been deeply entrenched in sin in, in these other cities that Jesus references. Capernaum had so much privilege, but with great privilege comes great responsibility. There's so much of, of Jesus' time, uh, his miracles and his teaching that was done right there. There's so many miracles that Matthew even will say things like, and many miracles were performed. Um, Jesus raised a girl from the dead, and people saw this, and still they did not believe. They didn't respond to his call, to his invitation. Yet Jesus said, Sodom would have. If Sodom had seen this, the people would have repented. The people would have responded to me. The miracles that Jesus does, um, they're fulfilling many prophecies from Isaiah. Prophecies that said, you know, you will know the Messiah um, has come when you see these things. And yet, people still did not believe, even though they had been told that these things were going to happen. Legalism, earning our way to heaven, can be more blinding than the worst of sins. I think when we get caught up in trying to to live righteously for the sake of living righteously, this ends up breeding more pride, an idea that we're independent, that we can do it on our own. But those struggling with sin and the ones who recognize the struggle, they're going to be more open to hearing the gospel. And I, th I think not just, not just hearing the gospel, but actually responding to it. But pride can be blinding. So we come back to an addict's mind, a clean mind, or a clear mind, the sinner and the righteousness, or the righteous, pardon me. 
but we need to be giving up our control. I think recognizing like children that we don't get it all, we don't understand, we're dependent, we need help, we're sinners. And we realize that our boasting then can only be in him and of his goodness, not of anything that we can do, nothing that, that we can earn through Jesus and Jesus alone, we're saved. But then why, why does he say that his yoke is easy and his burden is light? I think it's because Jesus has done all the heavy lifting for us. Jesus has paid the price so that we can stand before the Lord redeemed. It's not because anything that we do or can do, we're going to keep sinning. But it's because of what he has done, that we've been made holy. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light because he has done the work for us. Yes, I think we should strive for holiness. But we should strive for holiness because he is holy and because he's transformed us. Um, and we've been transformed then by what he's done for us and in us. We should not be striving for holiness to be earning our salvation. We need to lay down our pride and give up control in order to find rest. And a real rest. Not a good sleep, not a, a day at the beach. <laughs> but rest for our souls, something that is so rich. And I think we really need to acknowledge that we can't do that on our own. We need him. Come to me, all who are weary. I think in this context, Jesus is looking at those who thought they were doing things right. Um, but they're, they're being legalistic, maybe hypocritical. They're benefiting off the backs of others in the name of religion. Those, those who are burnt out, I think they're burnt out because they're trying to gain their own salvation. They're trying to rule their own lives. It's, it's those who are trying to be the masters of their own lives, whether that's choosing to remain in sin or whether that's ignoring that they have any sin at all and are trying to just do this checklist of, of how to live and how to be perfect. But regardless, we all need to give the reins to God. And then I think we see that our motivation for holiness and that pursuit changes. Our motivation is, is no longer to appease or to earn our salvation or to check off this long list of boxes of how to live and what's right. No, our motivation then is because we're overwhelmed with his love. And then so in response to what he's done and in response for his love to us and our love to him, then we pursue him and therefore we're pursuing more holiness. Are you exhausted by the efforts of living how you think you should be, of who you think you should be? Are you weary and burdened trying to, trying to be good enough and successful enough, um, strong enough, independent? God can give you rest. Jesus, ha Jesus has already done the work and we cannot earn it. But we do need to show up. We need to respond to his invitation. And in responding, we can find that we can have this true rest that our, our actions then and our, our service can be out of joy, not just obligation, not of work, not of trying to check off boxes, but out of joy and out of a love for our king who asks us to come. So if you're tired and weary of ruling your own life, come to him. It's not enough to just know where to find rest. We need to enter into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your invitation. Thank you that you call us and ask us to come. Lord, I think we can get really distracted trying to do everything right, trying to 
make our own plans and live out our own visions and sometimes we forget to ask you what that looks like. Or maybe we don't forget but we choose to not because we think we can do it better. Lord, help us to give you the reins. Lord, thank you that you offer real rest. I pray that those who are feeling weary and burdened and worn out and tired, that they will find their rest in you, that they will find a joy in you that is unlike any other, that they can experience your peace. Thank you for what you've done on the cross and thank you for your invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.